again to another episode of the Horizon Roundtable. I am Bob McDonald, and you can find me on Twitter at Bob McDonald. Joining me, of course, is my co-host, Matt Dudek. Hey there, everybody. Matt, you can find on Twitter at Horizon Matt, and you can follow us on Twitter as well at Horizon RT. You can follow us on the website at horizon.com. Be sure to do that definitely this week, because uh, it's preview week. And you can find, and be sure to subscribe to us wherever podcasts are found. So, um, hey, Bob, I feel like I've talked to you a lot the past week. Like, oh, and you're going to talk to me even more. <laughs> just, just, just so much Bob in my life right now. Uh, yeah. Well, there you go. Which is funny because I should only be tolerated in small doses, but here we are. There we are. <laughs> um. Joining, uh, so we're really ramping up to the season, and obviously there are not uh, the Horizon League. Sadly, has not uh, has not um, given us their schedule yet, released the schedule yet. Then they're obviously not alone. But joining us today, um, we we found the perfect guy to talk about scheduling in general, and you know specifically within the Horizon League, uh, Charles Pipkins, who you know guys know better as the D1 Docket on Twitter. Charles, thank you so very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. So before we get into kind of the uh, get into kind of the scheduling weeds, tell us a little bit how on earth you got into this in the first place. Well, it started for very selfish reasons. Um, I am by blood a Charlotte 49er, um, a program that has been on an NCAA drought since 2005, which coincidentally is the year I started school there. Uh, so probably about four years into it, you know, we're, we're in our streak of missing tournaments and that all starts with your non-conference schedule. So every uh, August, September, I'd be diving into as many sites as I could trying to find games before we release ours. And it evolved over time. So, you know, well, maybe I should organize it. Maybe I should put it in a spreadsheet and maybe I should put it on Reddit. Um, And it kind of grew from there. You know, I'd I'd see a ton of Reddit views or tons of views on my spreadsheet through Reddit. A few years of that, I decided to take it to Twitter and uh, been growing from there. So this has, so and you've been using and then you've had the spreadsheet out now that you're using Google Docs for the spreadsheet right so you know yeah. you send out you send out in every all the world you can pull that up for all the world to see that yep anybody it's uh, free to it's right now it's free to uh, anybody can view it um, I myself and a few other brain trustees have access to edit it mm-hmm. um, but it's primarily my baby. <laughs> Sure, sure. And that's kind of grown into – now, I understand you also have a blog that is associated with that now. Yeah, I've started to work on a blog to kind of uh, organize some of my thoughts more, uh, long-form tweets, and kind of do some of the other work I do with uh, FOIA, uh, obtaining contracts with schools, trying to organize that and kind of sure. – uh, instead of leaking out games one by one as I get them, just kind of just spill it all out there as soon as I get some contracts from a school. So – I'm sorry. Go ahead, Matt you do for for real life outside of this like well, how did you end up down this rabbit hole well i am in real life a engineer uh working eight to five uh near charlotte north carolina it's uh, much detail i'll go into that but um mainly what i do is most of this work is done on my lunch break and um at home so it's a lot of uh setting up emails and spilling in the spreadsheet and going through my twitter timeline to fill in games and a lot of the other people that have access to the spreadsheet help me out throughout the day. If they see me retweet something, uh, they'll help fill in the sheet for me. That's sure. Quite, quite the labor of love, I'm sure. Indeed. Yeah. 
So you talk about so you talked about FOIA, the Freedom of Information Act. Obviously, um, that's been your primary source for you know getting contracts and things to that games. Um, how does that process work? Because I know it works differently and it works in varying speeds among varying varying institutions. Yeah, the main differences are state to state. Um, some states you have to be a, a resident of that state to submit these. Um, a lot of states you do not. I take advantage of that. Um, you just have to to find the right email address on the school website. Um, I've got like a, a spiel email. I kind of just insert the school names into to get the specifics right. And then you uh, you go from there and you try to get as much information as possible. Some schools try to nickel and dime you. Sure. Some schools just share everything. So you kind of, uh, if they start to nickel and dime you, you work it back a little bit and say, okay, I'll just take contracts, no emails, that kind of stuff. So one of the challenges, and obviously not a, not every school is a not every school is a public institution. What challenges have you run into with say private institutions? Uh, it's just I, it's a non-starter. Um, you know, you, you can't even. It's not even worth the time to try to talk to them most of the time. Sure. Um, I've tried to develop some relationship with coaches uh, through Twitter. Um, some have reached out to me. I've reached out to some. Some are pretty receptive. But as an outsider to the business and someone they don't know, it's uh, I got to put my work in to build these relationships. Do you have a uh, a favorite school that you get excited to like reach out to? Uh, not particularly. Um, the, the 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 handful of coaches that will talk to me is so small that I'm excited when any of them talk to me. I get that <laughs> very much. So do, yeah, we definitely do. We feel you on that one. <laughs> um, so um, as far as this season is concerned, now obviously yeah. before. COVID hit before the NCAA started making any decisions or whatnot. Um, you were pretty well set and well on your way. You had already been announcing, you know, non-conference schedule releases, things along that lines. And the NCAA then makes their decision, cutting the number of games on to 25. You're not in an MTE to 27. If you are happen to be participating in one of these multi multi-team events, um, I guess, what was your initial reaction? I'm sure shock and disappointment for all the work you've done just falling by the wayside. It was, you know, like when I started this account in 16, I started sending out FOIAs to like, uh, I've been sending them to Charlotte for years now. Um, mm -hmm. So I started branching that out. And, you know, I had a couple kids in that time, so kind of slowed that down. But this year I was on my game. I had 100 emails time to go out the day after the incident like tournament. Um, and, of course, all those contracts came back are pretty much null and void at this point. Sure. Um, so it was, uh, it's disappointing that all these PDFs I have sitting on my computer are kind of uh, in a holding pattern. Um, disappointing mostly because a lot of these games that these schools thought they're going to get are just chopped off, um, not going to happen at this point, or postponed for a year. Sure. It really disruptive to the, uh, the process, but they should have known much sooner how much of an impact this is going to have. Yeah, <laughs> that would have been nice. Um, so now that you've had to start all over, you did the whole process kind of have to start all over again. You got to send out those hundred emails again, or or how well, is that, I, how is, has that been working? You know, it's the, the the window is so short, and those yeah. contracts take so time to be officially filed documents that I'm kind of just in a passenger seat and letting the the insiders do all the work, like Goodman, Norlander, and uh, Rothstein. They're doing all the hard work now. I'm doing what I can, um, getting what information I can, but the contracts aren't going to uh, be available. I'll probably try to get them after schedule release, but they aren't going to be uh, available to be for a while. 
Now, in terms of the Horizon League, obviously you mentioned you mentioned the contracts for the buy game uh, specifically for the buy games, and obviously with the Horizon League, there's going to be buy games that are going to be found to have, um, like for example, and some of the and, and as I'm sure you've seen, some of these buy games have kind of you know mutated into some of these multi-team MTEs, like yeah. in the case of. Detroit Mercy. Now, Detroit Mercy was supposed to go down to Kentucky for a standalone game. Now, that has been... Well, that was actually always part of an MTE with Hartford and Richmond. Really? Okay. Yep. I did not know that. Huh. Interesting. See, this is how much... I I should be paying more attention to Detroit Mercy, but, you know, I don't know, because they have, like, the best player in the league, but, you know, one of the best players in the league, so, yeah, I gotta work on that. (laughs) But also, being a private school, it's hard to get information out on them. They don't Uh, like to tell us anything. Uh, especially if it's Detroit Mercy, <laughs> they keep they keep kind of tight ship over there. Mm-hmm. We we we, rec- we recognize and respect that more or less. <laughs> um, but in the uh, so pro- okay, bad example. Uh, but one good example would be the uh, Oakland was did and Matt, you can correct me if I'm wrong here because you know you're the Oakland guy. Um, Oakland was supposed to go down to Xavier. Xavier, for right. Yeah. So, and that has been converted into a, into an MTE. Same thing with the same case with Cleveland State. They were supposed to start their season off with a bye game against Nebraska, and that has turned into this giant, you know, you know, mutant MTE thing with like twelve teams at this. Well, they're playing twelve teams, I guess, but they got about eleven at this point. So, um, how what in your as you've been looking through this, what have you seen kind of that trend where you're seeing buy games being converted into these multi-team events? That's a, a theme. It's not the prevalent theme. A lot of these games, um, especially before that cutoff, mm-hmm. th- these teams use this change as a way to uh, to save on their contracts, to to save on budgets. Sure. Um, so, Charles, I was going to ask, um, you know, talking about the contracts that you've seen on some of these MTEs, um, Greg Campy was talking about the Oakland MTE on his radio show this past week. Um, yeah. And he was mentioning how, you know, yes, that's done, but at the same time, there's a lot of, that they're still working out as far as TV. And also, you know, and then you start to play in the whole COVID situation where, you know, Toledo is actually shut down right now. And if that yeah. were, were to continue for some of these teams, what that looks like. So can you talk to us about anything you've seen in these contracts as far as what happens if a team can't can't do these or anything like that well i haven't seen any contracts um since the uh the decision to delay the start date but i do know some of the issues informing these events uh, first of all it started with uh funding um a lot of these like xavier's they're hosting their own i'm sure they're paying these three teams guarantee money um but a lot of these you know these events at mohegan sun orlando it's difficult to get these things going anywhere else because television funding has to be the genesis of it um, a lot of these teams are under pressure not to be in pay-to-play events, especially those with how many teams have had to drop sports in this offseason. Um, they aren't ready for that look of dropping three sports then paying $200,000 to play in an event somewhere. So you have that hurdle, um, which is why the main events started up, you've seen start up, are kind of organized by other groups like the Elevate uh, event in Nebraska or the Mohegan Sun Hall of Fame event in the Mohegan Sun or ESPN and Disney's uh, the bubble they're attempting down in Florida. The other ones are pretty small scale um, where you're probably just paying out guarantees to single teams, um, but there's still a lot to to work through as far as testing protocols, which has been really volatile this last week. 
So you mentioned that you mentioned the bubble down down in Orlando. Obviously, um, at this point in time, as far as we know, no Horizon League team is in fact if it going was going to be involved in that. Nor would they be involved in the Mohegan Sun one. Um, and uh, as we've been fo- we found last week uh, in the past week that they're already having issues. You know, they're already having some issues with that um, in terms of you know. The, the testing and things along the, the logistics of it, which is interesting because, you know, the, because the bubbles, the, you know, the Orlando bubble is, you know, with, with the NBA, they, you, this kind of paragon of, you know, stability within sports and this really, you know, in, in different things. But um, I, I guess that brings me to my question. How is it, um, have you noticed that how much, the what additional challenges that the college teams are having would be are having here within this this bubble that the NBA didn't have. I think I could see one right away, which is the fact that they're in the bubble and they weren't going anywhere. This is this is considerably different because there's multiple teams. Yeah. Yeah. The big thing is that the NBA, you know, there's they only bought what, 22 teams down there to begin with. Yes. Um, they have a lot more money to begin with as they're for profit. Um, and they were able to bring those teams in two weeks prior or whatever that number was to, to wait out any positive tests, get everybody kind of introduced to that bubble and make sure that it was COVID free. And they did a fantastic job of doing so. But with these college teams, if they're just going down to the pay three games, they get their three days in advance. They test. If you have one player positive, um, 99% chances your team's out of that event. So you lose three games. You have opponents that lose one to two games, and it's uh, and until today, with um, there was going to be the policy that any player that tested positive would have to quarantine down in Orlando for two weeks. But I think that's been revised as the latest uh, rules revision. Gotcha. Yeah. One other thing too, and this is actually something that already was happening, is that you, in addition to these these uh, these games that are being hosted at some of the some of the Power Five schools or in the bubbles, you also have the traditional MTEs that are that are being hosted by the mid major teams. Um, as far as we know, um, there are at least two schools in the Horizon League, Milwaukee and Youngstown State, that are scheduled to play. Uh, host MTEs at their individual arenas. Do you know if that's something that is still happening? I know that there has been mention of the fact that those the, both of those events are still on. I can't confirm anything about those specific events okay. um, as far as what's changed about them. Sure, sure. I know Milwaukee had been working on theirs prior to the whole situation. Yeah. Um, as was Youngstown State. I think we had, when mm-hmm. we had Jared Calhoun on, I think he had mentioned uh, before. And of course, this is way before. This was like back in May, so yeah. we were kind of in the same boat. But it does sound like that that MTE is that supposed to be at the Beagley Center is supposed to reportedly still be on board. So I see. I see um, those events being more likely to happen at yeah. this point than the one at Disney, mainly sure. because the volatility comes from what the teams going into them have to lose. Sure. That's why they the season was cut short. Uh, coaches want to lose guaranteed money games for one to save money to two. If they were going to have a game where three players were out with COVID, it mm-hmm. would it was going to be to somebody that wouldn't sink their resume to lose to. So sure. if you're if you're Kentucky and you have, uh, you know, let's say you have Detroit coming in, and all of a sudden your three plus players are out. Detroit, as respectful as a program that's been over the years, time to time, sure. it's uh. 
it's a loss that's going to cost them a couple seed lines, just like the Evansville loss did last year. Sure. So if you're going to, you'd rather keep that game on your schedule or keep the Duke game where even if you lose by 20 points instead of winning by two, it's still just a loss to Duke, which they've weathered before on their schedule. Sure. And that makes a lot of sense too. like, you know, just starting to play into the, the, the final outcome and how to factor all these in from a coaching standpoint. I hadn't thought about mm-hmm. that. That makes a lot of sense. So, um, and, and as far as the, since you haven't seen kind of the contracts that have been coming out, have you heard anything about the ones that have been delayed or, uh, that, that are going to be postponed? Do you know if that, that some of the, if any of these are going to happen next year or are they just completely canceled outright? Well, most of the home and homes that are being delayed, there, there's some, there's some reasons for both of them being delayed home and homes, obviously the higher profile ones, those are there to sell tickets. So if you're sure. not going to have fans in there, those are the ones most likely to get delayed. Gotcha. Kind of the uh, the down home and homes, like um, you know, my my school Charlotte had just fin- finished up a four year home and home with Wake Forest. Ones like that are probably going to stay because those are kind of there just to be able to get a re- resume win more than anything. Um, and this, so I see those kind of surviving. But like I think we just announced that the one between Mississippi State and Minnesota was delayed. Uh-huh. Um, those high profile games are the most likely ones to be delayed. Sure. Um, if any are, and then the guarantee, obviously the volatility of the games going into it and the fact that they cost money, um, to, to put on, which everybody's running a tight budget this year, play the yeah. big role in delaying those. So ha- six of one, half a dozen of the other with which games. Gotcha. To delay. Matt, I know you probably have a question about the buy games. Cause I know we, you've had a, com- we've had a com- multiple conversations about, you know, the, the benefits of the buy games um, and how that affects what's going on here. I mean, you kind of just hit on it. You know, there's, it seems to be there's a lot of wait and see on some of these. You know, I, I'm primarily an Oakland fan, for, well, first and foremost an Oakland fan. So we had a lot of buy games. You know, we were playing half of a Big Ten season this year, it seemed like. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like a lot of those are probably going to get pushed or just canceled. But And that sucks. But, I mean, it, it seems to be a lot of wait and see because those things, like you were kind of saying, become less of a priority for a lot of these teams. And it's trying to get to that number, trying to figure out what games you can do safely. and. You know, Oakland going to Michigan was was a big deal locally, but at the same time, it's not going to be making money. So I, it seems like those are going to kind of get pushed or just kind of forgotten about. But we're in a wait and see. Is that is that right at this point? Yeah, we're all we're all in wait and see. There's there's really until no point in even in saying something's final until the game's played in a lot of circumstances. I think Florida just announced this week they're not conference schedule amended, and they've already lost a game from that with Connecticut Connecticut canceling on them. So it's wait and see to the 10,000th degree. It's, it's really going to be an already is a madhouse. And so for you trying to run, you know, D one dockets and all that, what, what does that do for you? Like, are you just trying to keep up all the time? Or are you just kind of also in that same wait and see and just kind of, you know, it is what it is at this point for you. Like how, how does that affect what you do? It's a mix of both. You know, it's at the same time I'm trying to be diligent at what I find, but at the same time, if I don't get something in there on time, like I, I'm not sweating to, to type everything in, it's just because uh, it could change. And it's probably going to be an active spreadsheet throughout the season, and I'm prepared for that. Well, and that's, you know, again, I was saying, um, it was something Campy was talking about at his radio show this week was just things are going to continue to be up in the air all, all season, it seems like, because you, you don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, leagues are slow to put out their schedule and, are those games, if there's a COVID situation, are those forfeits or are there no game? You know, that's something we've seen even in college football where they're trying to figure mm-hmm. out 
how they want to go about these. So, I mean, I don't envy you trying to track, you know, an entire country's college basketball schedule that's just fluctuating constantly. Yeah, I'm, right cer- now. I'm, I'm certainly glad it's it's something I do in my free time and not something I'm, I'm paid for at this point because it'd probably drive me even more crazier. <laughs> I mean, unless you could be like Mel Kuyper where you can just be wrong all the time and continue to make lots of money, you know, doing what you do, that would be kind of the gig in some ways. That'd be true. <laughs> Very true. I've got, yeah. I've got my, got my theory about Mel Kuyper. If he was as good as he was, as he thought he was, he'd be hired for twice the money by an NFL team by now. That's right. You're not wrong, my friend. <laughs> so, as far as the conference schedule is concerned, obviously, um, that has been a major. You know, usually we've got that out already. Um, <laughs> so. And, of course, the Horizon League, like literally every other mid-major, is contemplating some scenarios. Um, And we've looked at some of the um, different conferences that are out there, and they have been looking at this format where the games are being played back-to-back, at a certain a certain uh, at one of the uh, conference teams' venues, they play one you know they play one game on Saturday, one game on Sunday, and then they're back in the you know just to kind of save on travel. Um, and I believe the Summit I don't want to say I think I don't think the Summit League is doing that, but I think uh, some of the other conferences are doing that. Do you see that as a potential scenario for the Horizon League, or is this something that we're you know that they they're going to do something completely different? For, for a conference like the Horizon League, it would be the smart move. It helps you out in a lot of ways, this specifically sure. the season, um, with the disadvantages you don't have, disadvantages you have being outside the power structure. They have less money for testing. They probably won't be testing as rigorously as the Power Fives. So a week-to-week basis, you're more volatile. Second of all, sure. it, it limits travel, it, especially a, a kind of a geographically tight league like the Horizon where you can do a lot of busing. Yes. Unlike Conference USA. But at the same time, what it really does is it limits the rate of exposure throughout the teams. Because let's say, you know, Oakland plays Detroit on Thursday night. And then, uh, you know, they got Cleveland State on Saturday. So Oakland could go to Detroit and infect the team in Detroit and Cleveland State on Saturday. It's two teams. And then the team, uh, Youngstown, maybe they're playing Oakland that Saturday night. So all of a sudden you have four teams instead of one um, that might have this virus spread to it. Whereas the other way you have a weekend where mostly if you, if it starts at one team, it can only spread to one other team. So it Mm -hmm. does a lot to keep the league from imploding on itself. Um, And I think they're all going to build these. I think that's what you're going to see all these leagues below the power structure do. Mm -hmm. uh, And then build in some rescheduling days at the end. Sure. And I think that kind of sounds a lot like what Major League Baseball experienced this summer. And I think hopefully college basketball was kind of watching that and learning from their mistakes and how they were able to still get their season underway and and uncontrolled eventually. Because you did see a lot of that cross-contamination because of travel and teams moving around and all. Yeah, and I think most of the the issues, they they figured it out pretty quickly. I know they had the Marlins had the Phillies at the very end. I'm not a huge baseball follower, but I know they had some huge hiccups at the beginning. But after that, it went pretty smoothly. Yeah, I think between the Marlins and the Cardinals, I think they were the worst at that, you know, at the in the on stage. But as it moved forward, you're correct. They, you know, they made the adjustments they needed to, and then you know, things moved rather smoothly. Um, 
in terms of the uh, now the other obviously the, we mentioned uh, we obviously mentioned television as a big factor in some of the you know the non-conference games. Is, is, do you see that being a hurdle within the in, in a conference like the Horizon League, which doesn't necessarily have the the, the broadcasting issues that say scheduling a, a game on you know Fox Sports or something like that would be would would affect me because in all uh, you know with with most of the Horizon League you see a situation where they just have uh, a lot of the schools most of their games are just on ESPN plus so yeah uh, so that that's a so do you see that being as much of an issue within the conference schedule specifically for Horizon League that would then you would say a Big East that has to contend with uh, you know big TV contracts. I see it definitely helping teams like Horizon because, you know, they can kind of just play the games when they want. At the same time, there's probably going to be some games that earmark saying, okay, if we lose a game, this game goes from ESPN Plus to ESPN2 or ESPNU. So they might be flexible, you know, keep a Saturday game. Okay, if it moves from 6 o'clock to noon to get on TV, these conferences have to take advantage of that if the opportunity is there. Um. And now the other the other question is going to be timing, and I know this has been a big issue in terms of trying to figure out. Okay, um, and this is also this was all kind of also the kind of issue that I've seen in terms of the schedule, the conference scheduling, is that there's been so much uncertainty on the non-conference side. Um, is that something you have seen with uh, with with not just not just the Horizon League, but with mid-major conferences in general, where they're not able to put out the conference schedule because there's so much uncertainty on the non-conference side? Well, in in, in a mid-major side of things, you know, it's a it's a pyramid. You know, if you're waiting on to find out which games you're keeping mm-hmm. from above, like let's say you got to figure out which which guarantee games you're going to be canceled on, you can't pull the trigger on which games to do below you. Like say your home and homes, or like if you're buying out uh, a Summit School or a MEAC School, you have to wait uh, until you know what happens to the rest of your games. So it's it's going to be a top down situation, um, unless you're a school who luckily wasn't really depending on a guarantee check this year. Um, then you kind of have some more control over your destiny, but at the same time, it's a, it's a tough market out there to fill your schedule. Um, a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of demand for guarantee money and not a lot of supply. Yeah, definitely not. Um, in terms of the, now, the other unique issue that the Horizon League has, particularly this season, is now they have the now now this year they do have the twelve teams and. The, the the question of number of conference games has come up as well, um, and I know within the last couple of weeks, um, I know Matt, I believe Nat Norlander had mentioned that they could be going twenty games, uh, going to a twenty game schedule, um, and I believe that was echoed by both uh, Robert Valls, the athletic director at Detroit Mercy, as well as as well as Mike Davis, the head coach there. Um, is that something? Are as have you heard anything about how that would work, or how uh, just the number of games? Have you heard anything about you know that that being the scenario, the likely scenario for the Horizon League? I really don't have much insight to that. Just uh, you know, if you're going to increase the games, you know, depending on what situation all your conference members are in, you know, if they lost a lot of games that they can't recover quick enough, it makes sense to make it up with conference games. You know, even. Sure. It would make even make sense if they needed to to go to twenty two games. Mm-hmm. Sure, I think, and I think, yeah, I think at this point in time they're going to go. Um, according, I think it was according to Norlander, he they were going to go with the twenty game schedule, 
They were going to start December 16th. They were actually going to play in the holidays of so the 26th and the 27th. They were going to play. And then the the weekend after um, New Year's Day, the, the second and the third day, they were going to play. I believe that is, according to, Mor- according to Mike Norlander, that is the – that's how it's structured yet. We haven't gotten any confirmation of that, of course. Mm-hmm. So – and I presume that you obviously haven't either. So, right, so it's obvious. It, says, it really does sound like it's kind of a fluid situation in terms of the Horizon League conference scheduling. Yeah, and I'm sure everybody, you know, every conference is reacting to what every other conference is doing. Um, you know, the Sun Belt put out a, a, their a regular looking schedule a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. and now that everybody's going to the, the two games per site per weekend, uh, the Sun Belt's definitely, you know, hit the brakes on what they were doing and are probably going to go in that direction as well. So everybody's following the trends um, and waiting for somebody. And if they can't come up with an idea, they see what someone else comes up with, and they go that direction. Just kind of seems like nobody wants to be the trendsetter because the trendsetter is probably going to be wrong, and but no one knows what's right, you know? Yeah. Uh, there's no right answer this year. <laughs> there's just not going to be any right answer. Put everyone in a bubble. I'll cover it. I got this. That that's yeah, right. Matt, Matt has already volunteered to be in any Horizon League bubble. What's uh, so you know he, he's in. <laughs> um, and so I, I get. You, so as far as the conference is concerned, I guess the, the big concern, obviously, is what happens in the event that one of these teams tests positive during the conference season. Um, have you have you not just and again, beyond the Horizon League, have you heard any um, any contingencies that other conferences are putting into their scheduling based on that potential contingency that based on that worst case scenario of uh, COVID positive COVID tests. Well, the most I know is I know a lot of conferences are building in an extra bye week at the end of, at the end beginning of March, the end of the okay. conference season to get games in if they need to. Okay. Um, I have a feeling if, if teams are following other procedures um, going in and they still get COVID tests, positive, positive tests that there won't be any risk of forfeiture. Um, as, as long as you're maintaining guidelines, you see what happened with the, what happened with the Titans in the NFL where they weren't following the rules and you know, the lot of rumors that they were going to be forced to forfeit a game. Yeah. Um, so if you're following the rules, you know, it's, it's a very easily spread disease. You have to follow the rules. Um, and even still those rules don't guarantee 100% safety. Mm-hmm. And, and I think really, as far as, the, especially, you know, especially with a mid-major conference is concerned because of the, uh, the volatility, not just of the schedule itself, but is in terms of the pandemic in general, um, it, it would be to their advantage to lay down a uniform set of rules, for a uniform set of policies for you know, that are COVID related. Now, um, as you mentioned earlier, the issue may, of course, also be money as well um, for a lot of these for a lot of these schools. Yeah, and. The money side more affects the non-conference side of things, because uh-huh. um, I, I, you know, I think a lot of these conferences kind of more or less the only thing they would have to lose if they don't play games is TV time. Sure. I think a lot of them they probably are spending more money to get on TV than they get from it. Uh-huh. So, you know, losing a couple of Horizon games, you know, if if there's a game that's going to determine you know ninth and tenth place at the end of the season, do you uh-huh. play it? Like is your I'm not sure how many teams are inviting to the conference tournament, but you know, do you prioritize playing all the games up top or down at the bottom if you need to squeeze them at the end of the season? That's that's where the the struggle is going to be. The conference sure. tournaments is a whole 
whole almost different discussion that I don't know that we know anything about at this point as far as what the layout is going to be or the or just how they're going to approach it really. Oh, I know it's it's going to be uh they'll probably know exactly what they're going to do just the day before. I mean, probably. it almost almost makes sense, you know, to give yourself like you said, you know, that that buy time and give yourself two weeks to test everybody, make sure everyone's safe, and get them into a bubble for conference tournaments to ensure that the conference tournaments happen. But is that feasible? I don't know. And I think the other thing, too, is that, you know, by March, we have maybe in a whole different dynamic in terms of the pandemic, too. You know, there may be a whole bunch of other things going on that there may be a whole whole the the game may be changed in that in general, you know, not just for basketball, but for, you know, the country in general. So I, I it makes sense to kind of have that buffer in there um, and just, you know, play it, you know, play it as it goes at this point in time. Um the one I, there was actually one non-COVID question I had that I wanted to ask, and this is actually related to um, related going back to the television contracts. And so, um, one of the things that has come up that is non-COVID related that's that I that may have an impact on on scheduling is the fact that you have. As, as everybody knows, all, most of the Fox regional sports networks were sold to the Sinclair Broadcasting Corporation. And apparently the Sinclair Broadcasting Corporation has – Sinclair obviously apparently um, has been probably – probably should have stayed away from this purchase because uh, they've been getting dropped off of uh, – They've been dropping off of service carriers left and right. Uh, they're no longer on YouTube TV. They're no longer on Hulu. They're not on – I believe they're not on Dish Network anymore. In terms of scheduling, and I don't know if this is something you would know off the top of your head, how does that – how does the changing uh, – the fact that some of these ga- some of these whole channels are no longer on uh, – are no longer available in certain uh, – for certain service providers – do do you know if that's something that potentially affects um, scheduling? Because um, I know a bunch of this college basketball teams do have deals with you know some of these regional sports networks. Some of which yeah. aren't going to be on the aren't going to be on the air. Um, some of them are getting pulled off of service le- providers left and right. It, it could definitely have an effect. Um, you know, those regional networks kind of more or less get the the leftovers. I feel. You know, yeah. I know. You know, Fox Sports South. They get a they get a Sunday night ACC game usually every week, but it's it's not the one that ESPN plays at eight o'clock on Saturday. Mm-hmm. So it, I could see it having some effect down the order, depending on who's got what deal. Um, but at the same time, it's this season more than anything. It's probably not going to be a huge huge driver. Um, and the other thing you have to contend with is there won't be NBA games for a while uh, to take up TV slots too. That is true. I mean, because I I know for example uh, Fox Sports Ohio. Um, I love this. Fox Sports Ohio. There are th- in Ohio. There are three Horizon League schools: Cleveland State, Youngstown State, and Wright State. And f- last year, Fox Sports had a deal with. Wait for it, Northern Kentucky <laughs> to play games. It may I know it makes sense of that one. So it's always funny to see Fox when I turned on Fox Sports when I did, and their their Northern Kentucky was playing. I'm like, that something is not right here. <laughs> I mean, I get that they're in the greater Cincinnati area, but I mean, you have three other teams in Ohio. But uh, yeah, I, I could kind of see that, that. I could see that potentially affecting the mid majors more than, say, a high major that also has a that also has a, a deal with a the the 
you know, the nationwide Fox Sports channels or the or the ESPN networks. Yeah, and you know, think of that situation in Northern Kentucky. You know, it might have been a situation where they were paying to get on TV um, yeah. to do so. There's like, a, I know West Kentucky has a deal with a, a Fox Sports regional network where they produce all their own games. Yeah, um, they pay for the production as long as someone else airs it. So, and I, I believe, that, and I yeah, think that's that it, it's kind of what got the Gonzaga uh, machine moving in the late '90s is they were paying to get their games produced, and then mm-hmm. you know waiting for someone else to pick them up in the, the Northwest and that spread. Yeah, and then and then obviously, yeah, I know that uh, that that is definitely true on, in a lot of cases, especially for the mid majors. Um, and speaking and, of, speaking of and that, also I'm, keep in mind, Northern Kentucky was uh, charging Cincinnati rent last year too. That is true. They were because Cincinnati was getting the uh, getting their arena renovated. So yeah, hey, cash in. <laughs> Might as well make the most of that money. Um, yep. As far, uh, which actually brings me to the other part of this in terms of, and again, this doesn't necessarily apply to all of the Horizon League schools. I know certain schools do have this issue in terms of local television production. Um, as far as you know, local broadcast. How does the uncertainty affect that dynamic? Because I know um, m- many of the school, many of the schools do have broadcast networks that ha- they have deals with broadcast networks. Um, how would that? How does this uncertainty kind of affect that the, that production um, in terms of the local the local broadcast? You know, I feel like it's it's probably even more hang on by the seat of your pants situation. Um, I'm not I'm not really familiar with the TV contracts down to a lot sure. level. Um, but I'm sure, you know, they're going to take the backseat to, to the national coverage more than anything sure. else. Sure. Um, I, I get it. If I could ask, I mean, probably just, you know, if you can make a prediction, I know you, you mentioned early, early late last week that, you know, there, there was always a possibility that these, these uh, schedule releases were going to come in bunches. Um, do you see that happening within the next two weeks that we're going to finally see kind of that crush of, uh, crush of schedules come out finally? And by the way, we're right recording this on Sunday and watched Monday that Horizon League's going to put out their schedule. I'm sure, I'm sure they will. Um, <laughs> Just to mess with us. <laughs> you know, they've got to come out sometime and, yeah. you know, they, you know, normally your things really hit the ground running at the end of July, beginning of August. Yeah. Um, as far as non-conference schedules coming out, conference schedules around Labor Day, um, so, you know, they got to come out sometime. Um, you know, we saw like maybe four or five in the last week. So that's mm-hmm. that's only going to increase. Um, but at the same time, you know, those, those schedules are going to change after the release as well. Sure, because there's going to be, obviously, you know, the, the, the dynamics are going to be ever-changing. This is going to be, this is definitely going to be a season that we've never seen ever. I'm sure there will be so many different things, so many different moving parts in the next, uh, throughout the season just based on just based on the the pandemic in general yeah it's hold on that's all i can tell you it's uh sure you're gonna wake up you think your team's gonna be playing that night and it'll be a coin flip ah love that roller coaster awesome so you don't have to worry about buying tickets in advance or anything you know that's very true yeah, we only yeah exactly because there's gonna because the protocol is gonna be I'm sure the protocol is gonna be different throughout the throughout college basketball. I fully expect that. Well, actually, I mean when you're talking about the Horizon League, some of those teams are already at 25% capacity anyway, so they may not have a problem. I just thought of that. 
I mean, I I hope that they don't bring fans in, but that's just I guess that's more yeah. personal. I, 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 so. Yeah, that, that may not happen. I don't know. I mean, yeah, see, the arena would be you know because it's a small venue that yeah that would look bad, but you know, Cleveland State's at the Wolstein Center, and you know, that's a wide open space every season. <laughs> Detroit Mercy is going to put sixty feet between fans and the Cal- and Callahan, you know. There you go. Um, well, Charles, thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Um, you know, we got some great insight from you um, in terms of scheduling and everything. Tell everybody where where we can find you online. Yeah, follow the D1 Docket on Twitter. Um, links to my blog are there. Um, I try to get as much out as I can. I, I'll, I'll retweet any news I find. I don't try to take any shine from anybody else. I just straight retweet it so you can read their articles, read their tweets. Um, give me a follow. Yeah, absolutely. You have to do that, especially in terms of scheduling. It's a must follow in college basketball, not just the Horizon League. Must follow. Um, then that's going to do about do it for us. Um, actually, before we go, I, I did want to give a shout out to one of our uh, frequent guests, Todd Buckingham, uh, mid underscore major. He is actually starting his. Uh, he is actually starting a. Uh, as you're probably listening to this, the, he is debuting his own uh, podcast for the Summit League, uh, reaching the, the Reaching the Summit podcast. Uh, I'm I'm happy to be have you know be working on you know helping him out doing a few logistical things. So um, for those again, for those of you who are mid major fans, you definitely want to cut uh, you know be on the lookout for Todd's podcast. But in terms of our podcast, obviously you've gotten this far, you know what to do. Uh, Horizonroundtable.com. Absolutely. This is the week where, you know, we're going to be, we're going to be putting out our previews for all the teams as well as our preseason predictions. So go to the site, make sure that you're, uh, make sure that you've, uh, you've gotten everything together. Um, As always, you know, we're we're on all podcast uh, we're on all podcast apps with the exception of uh, I believe Amazon's Audible hasn't gotten back to us yet. Did you know that Audible now does uh, podcasts as well as uh, audiobooks? I did not realize that until two weeks ago, so I have to fix that problem. Um, But you can also find us on, uh, you know, again, wherever podcasts are found usually. And then, you know, you can pull us up on your uh, Google or Amazon devices. So that's going to do it, folks. And thank you all for listening.